You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, If you'll grab your Bibles with me, let's just start by reading the passage we're going to be reading through this morning. It's uh, Matthew 18, 1 through 9. So let's turn there in our Bibles real quick and I'll read it for us. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two two eyes be thrown into the hell of fire. Let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's new, um, or that it challenges us new every day, that your mercies are new every morning. I just pray that you'll get me out of the way today, Lord, and that you would work in our hearts and our minds through your spirit. And we thank you for everything you give us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we've made it through another Christmas. It's the first Sunday after Christmas. And, you know, we're still in the season. We still sing some Christmas worship songs. Uh, But this year, I know that for most of us, for many of us, it looks different. Christmas looked different this year than it had in the past. And I hope that one way or another, you're able to celebrate, even with everything going on. And so I think Christmas, or really any time where the whole family gets together, is a great time to people watch. Now, we don't typically do this because, you know, we're kind of caught up in the traditions and the, the whole Christmas, seeing family, the whole thing, right? It's, we don't typically do it, but it's really interesting to do, especially when you're new to a family. And so the first Christmas after Kinsey and I got married that we spent with my family was very interesting. Uh, not, not just because she was a new addition and things were different. Uh, but it was interesting because it was like seeing everything through her eyes for the first time. And so times like Christmas are great because we see family dynamics at play in sort of an exaggerated way. Who sits where at the dinner table? Does someone sit at the head? Who opens gifts first? Is there even a gift opening order? And if you don't, you're a savage. Uh, All of these things speak to the unspoken hierarchy of the group right? We've all got it, we just don't necessarily realize it. And so in my family growing up, big thing we had was the kids' table at Christmas. 
my cousins, my sister and I, we would sit at a separate table from the adults. Did you guys have this too? Or is this just me? And so it's a funny way of showing it, but ultimately, this kind of points us to a sort of greatest and least mentality, doesn't it? So some of you are like, well, I don't know. It's just a tradition. It's just a whatever. But really, try to remember how badly you wanted to sit at the adult table when you were a kid. We all know that feeling, right? The desperately wanting to sit at the adult table. And obviously that's because the cool table, the kid's table is not the cool place to be, right? So imagine Christmas Day, there's one seat open at the adult table. So the kids start to argue about who gets to sit there. And so it's like we picture we've got 10-year-olds showing off how responsible they are or how they don't cry when they cut their knee anymore or whatever. But we can all picture this argument, right? Kids arguing over who gets to sit at the adult table. And so here's where we are when we read this passage. The disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so in Luke's account of the story, he tells us that they asked Jesus because they were arguing over which of them was the greatest. So if we remember where we've been, this is not too surprising, right? If we remember where we've been in the book of Matthew, it's like we'll think a few weeks back we saw Peter, James, and John witness the transfigured Jesus. Peter, uh, last passage we were in, even got his temple tax paid for by Jesus. And so remember Zach showed us uh, back before Christmas that what Jesus was saying was that... uh, when they asked him about paying the temple tax, Jesus said, paying the temple tax uh, is not for them anymore because they are sons of God, right? And go back and listen to that sermon. Zach says it much more succinctly and clearly than I do. But the idea is that you're family now, and family doesn't pay the tax. And so it's no surprise that here we are, the disciples are trying to figure out how the hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven works, is it? We're definitely not proud of them for asking this question, but it's hard to fault them. What is surprising, though, is Jesus' answer to the question. And so what we're going to see over and over today is that the kingdom of heaven has a different priority order than the world. And so scholars will often call this the upside-down nature of the kingdom. It's a really important idea. Jesus has been spending a lot of time teaching us about this upside-down nature of the kingdom. He's going to show us today another part of life in the kingdom of heaven. As his followers, Jesus calls us to live a life of humility. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see Jesus calling us to live in the kingdom of heaven a life of humility. So grab your Bibles with me. We're going to go back to the passage. So in this first section, he's going to show us that in his kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom... Humility is what marks greatness. So let's read verses 1 through 4 again. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples come to Jesus with a question. Like I said earlier, Luke tells us that they asked Jesus this because they were debating amongst themselves which of them would be the greatest. 
And so remember that we've been spending so much time talking about the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew and how different things would be. Remember that upside-down nature of the kingdom. So it's hard to believe, but not surprising, that disciples are still hung up on their idea of what the kingdom's going to look like. And so this question makes us think that these guys are still thinking about the kingdom of heaven as a social, geographical, political movement and not the kingdom of the creator of the universe. And so again, their perspective was too small. So when they asked Jesus this, clearly Jesus responds in a way that was shocking to them and to us today. And so instead of answering the real question they were asking and telling them their own order, that's what they're asking, right? They want to know their order. So instead of answering that question or even telling them that yet again they're thinking too small, he calls a child over for an illustration. So how disorienting must this have been for the disciples? Try and put yourself in their minds for a minute. A child would have had no status, no class or honor apart from their family. And in some ancient cultures, in some cultures today, children are viewed as property in the eyes of the law. Right? So when Jesus pulls this kid over and he says, this is the greatest in the kingdom, it must have been very humbling for the disciples. Right? Jesus is showing us that what matters in the kingdom is humility. In fact, he tells the disciples that they need to change, they need to change their ways in order to be more childlike or they'll never see the kingdom. But this makes sense, right? This makes so much sense, doesn't it? At this point, the disciples don't understand what's coming in Jerusalem. They don't understand that the crucifixion will happen and they don't understand what Jesus' death and resurrection is going to mean for the whole world. But us, we're on the other side of that, we see it, we see it so clearly. We have a better perspective on what Jesus is saying here. So when he calls us to humility, we understand now that humility is the starting point for calling out to Jesus and asking him to save us. Humility is required to kneel at the foot of the cross to see that the creator of the universe has sacrificed himself for us and to recognize that we so desperately need help and to accept that help. And this is why our Jesus draws our attention to children. Children have such clear limitations. They need help from an adult for some of the most basic things. And parents, you know this. You remember what it's like to have a child need you for everything, right? Needing help and acknowledging that need is the core of humility. And here's the trick. Jesus compares us to children because we are so childlike. We have to humbly come to Jesus day after day and acknowledge that we need help. We are unable. We've messed up. We can't cut it on our own. And this is a core component of the confession that we did earlier today, right? We do this every Sunday. It's this, it's this humbly acknowledging before Jesus and saying, Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own. And this is Jesus' goal. His goal is to get us to stop worrying about our ranking, stop worrying about how we compare to others, and stop worrying about how we stack up. Because ultimately, we have to recognize that we don't stack up, but that he does. I'm going to say that again. It's important for us to recognize that we don't stack up, but that he does. 
And so this mentality challenges us to evaluate a lot in our lives. And so for me, I can struggle with wanting to achieve and succeed. Surely wanting to do well at things is not bad in and of itself. But I find that I I put too much stock in things that I ought not. I spend a lot of time worrying after, you know, spending time with others that I didn't look smart enough or caring enough or pastoral enough. And I can easily fall into this trap of spending more time worrying about how I came across to this person who is struggling than time I spend worrying and caring for this person that is struggling. And I'm not proud of that. This is what goes through my head. Whenever this happens, I've just so clearly missed the mark, right? I think what Jesus is showing here is that I need to approach these conversations with humility. I need humility to accept that I'm not going to handle things perfectly. Humility to spend not so much time focusing on me and what I'm doing, and I need humility to recognize that I'm not the one who's doing the important work here. He is. And so children are such a great example of a humble perspective because they give us a beautiful glimpse into the Christian life. See, a child's value doesn't come from what they can do or how they act, right? It comes in their relation to others. So let me put it this way. A father doesn't love his children and value his children because of what they can do, what they can do for him, because of how they're behaved, because of their success. He loves them because they're his children. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. So what does that mean for us? Well, first and foremost, like I said before, it requires that we change our perspective. For me, this looks a lot like spending less time focusing on me and what I'm doing and a lot more time focusing on the Lord and what he's doing. I have to accept, again, that I'm not the one at work in people's lives, but that the Lord is. This is going to look different for different people. And so maybe you're like me and you focus too much on yourself. You think too much about your own ability or your own success and you need to spend more time focusing on him. Or maybe you're in a different boat. Maybe you think that you're too far gone and Jesus couldn't save someone like you or work through someone like you or love someone like you. And I would challenge you with this. Although it feels like humility... These thoughts are actually prideful all the same. See, Jesus has shown us time and again that he loves and saves even the furthest from him. And I promise you that you are not too far for Jesus to reach. You're not too broken for Jesus to fix. And you're not too messy for Jesus to use. And this is good news, amen? This is the beauty of the upside-down kingdom, right? This kingdom that calls us to live in a completely different way than the rest of the world. Jesus calls us to a life of humility. And we saw that in the first section. So we're going to continue reading. We're going to see one of the ways this life of humility plays out, specifically in how we treat others. So let's go back to Matthew 18. We're going to read verses 5 through 6. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... 
It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, if you're like me, this is the stuff that makes you uncomfortable. This sounds a lot less like fluffy, easy Jesus and a lot more like like a mafia hit job, right? But what Jesus is getting at here is so powerful. I want us to go back into the minds of the disciples again. Remember how we were saying that they're caught up in this idea of Jesus bringing in like a social, political kingdom. If we're picturing that, while we hear these words, suddenly they've got a new light. We'll bring a new perspective to this. The king of the universe is saying that he cares about how we treat the little ones. Now, some scholars will say that little, fun, little ones refer to children. Some will say it refers to new believers. But either way, the message is clear, right? Jesus is saying he cares about how we treat the marginalized, the least of these. And he's saying whoever receives the least of these receives the king. But mess with the least of these, and you mess with the king. And so suddenly this language makes a lot more sense Right? Jesus is saying that the stakes are high when it comes to how we treat the marginalized. This is another flavor of humility that Jesus is calling us to here. What Jesus is saying is that a person's status is not what motivates us to help them, and especially that a person's low status is not grounds for us to abuse them. And this requires so much humility of us to treat others well regardless of their station. Sometimes this is easier than others, and sometimes the culture around you celebrates that. Our culture tends to celebrate those who care for the marginalized, right? But the question is, do we celebrate it, uh, or rather, do we celebrate people who care for the marginalized out of humility or not? So let me put it this way. How much do we serve and care for others when no one is looking? How much would we celebrate those who care for the marginalized if we didn't have Instagram or Facebook, right? How much would our culture care if there were no cameras to catch our good deeds? And this is what I think Jesus is getting at here. I think he's challenging us to change our perspective. In humility, we care for others not because it's going to get us somewhere, not because they could pay us back someday, or and not because it might elevate us somehow in the eyes of the world. No, in humility, we care for others because we're not focused on ourselves, but on Jesus. Or in other words, we care for them. When we care for them, it's like we're receiving him. So I'll say that again. Jesus is saying that when we care for the marginalized, it's like we're caring for him. And the flip side of this is tough right? These are high stakes that Jesus is calling us to. And ultimately, that's all the more reason to approach this humbly, isn't it? And what Jesus is showing us here is what he's going to, and what he's going to continue to tell us is that these stakes are high. And because the stakes are high, we have to come humbly. And we're going to see in this next section that humility gives us two distinct advantages With these high stakes. Let's read verses 7 through 9. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So this is going to sound familiar to a lot of us. Jesus used the same language back in the Sermon on the Mount earlier in the book of Matthew. If you think back, that was a long time ago for us, wasn't it? And so this, again, is some strong language that Jesus is using. And again, we see that this language is so strong because the stakes are so high. But first, let's clear a few things up. It's easy when we read a section like this to think that whether we are saved or not is dependent on how good we are and the things that we do. And this is a pretty common sentiment in our culture, right? How often have we heard someone say, I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven when I die, right? But there's a flaw to that fundamental, there's a fundamental problem to that idea, and it's this, no one is a good person, at least not good enough, right? And Paul tells us that in Romans 3.23 when he says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so as a premise, we have to believe that we all fall short and that no one is good enough by themselves, right? That's the premise. And so when we read a passage like this, we can start to worry, start to panic. Well, if we've all fallen short, what hope do we have? But then we go back to Romans 3.23, we read... 3:23 through 24, the two verses. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here again is that good news. We cannot measure up, but Jesus did. Not only that, but the Lord offers us redemption through Jesus, not because of what we've done, or left undone, but all through the grace of God. So this is good news for those of us who don't stack up, right? So then the question is, how then do we understand this passage in Matthew? And so we have to remember, we step step back and remember that we're talking about humility here. And so what we're going to see is that humility is going to play out in two ways, two distinct ways here. First, humility shows us that we have a desperate need for a Savior. First, humility shows us that we have a desperate need for a Savior. Ben Hacker pointed this out in a sermon here a while ago, and it's always stuck with me uh, when, he pa- when he preached on this passage on the Sermon on the Mount. He said the body part that we really need to cut out is our heart. Because we know that our heart, our core, our inner self is where sin comes from, Right? not from our hands or feet or eyes. And so the problem is that we can't just cut things off and be good, right? It's an internal problem. And an internal problem needs internal solutions. And so this is where Jesus comes in. We have to humbly come to Jesus and acknowledge that our problem is so deeply rooted in ourselves, in our hearts, in our innermost being, that we need drastic help to fix it. Jesus wants us to admit that we need this help, that we need his help. 
So the second thing that we see is that we need humility to acknowledge and remove the things that cause us to stumble. The second thing we see is that we need humility to acknowledge and remove things that cause us to stumble. And so this word here, cause to sin, um, could, could be understood as cause to stumble. So that's why I'm using the word stumble here. So when Jesus talked about this, remember he used these same imagery back in the Sermon on the Mount, the context was lust, right? The, the context is a little different, but here we're coming at it from a different angle. Here Jesus is responding to the disciples' pride and for their jockeying for rank, right? So when Jesus says to cut off the hand that causes you to sin, we realize that he is talking about a different problem altogether, right? So this, this, um, this causing us to sin is really causing us to think pridefully. He's saying that we need humility to see these things even, and ultimately that we need humility because pride is the thing that we need to cut off. So think about it again. These men have been following the king, the creator of the universe, and they're worried about rank and title in the kingdom of heaven. That's crazy, we say. Can't they see what Jesus is trying to do here? Can't they see that they're arguing over petty things when the crucifixion is looming over the horizon? Don't they know they're fighting over things that don't really matter? And I can't help but think these things when I read this passage. I can't help but wonder how these guys could be so blinded by their own pride that they can't see how messed up they are and how good Jesus is in spite of that. And then I realize that I do the same thing. And this plays out differently for different people. But for me, I realize I fight so hard to not mess up because I don't want to be a mess. I don't want to feel like a mess. I hate the idea of needing help or being weak. And so I try to clean myself up so that I won't need that help. I'm so afraid of being perceived as a mess because I'm afraid that it will make me less. Less important, less valuable, less loved. Whatever it is, I don't want it. So when I read this passage, what hits me square over the head is that I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And that I'm in desperate need of some humility. It takes humility to see that I've idolized some sense of self that I've built up, some sense of self that doesn't need help from others, some sense of self that has it all together. And it takes humility for me to come to Jesus and to say, Lord, I do not have it all together. I am, in fact, a mess, and I need your help. I feel powerless. I need you to come clean me up. So we're all at different places this morning. But no matter where you're at, we all need to hear this message from Jesus. We all need to hear this call to humility. Jesus has shown us today that the kingdom of heaven requires us to reconfigure the way we approach the world altogether. He's shown us that humility is key in the kingdom. And he's shown us that no matter where we are, we need him so desperately. So some of us have been following Jesus for a long time, 
And we need to be reminded that part from him, that apart from him, we can do nothing. We've heard this call to humility, some of us many times over the course of our life. And we need to recognize our own frailty and inability, and we need to lean on Jesus, who is neither frail nor incapable. For those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, this passage has shown us that we will need to spend some time in prayer, asking the Lord to show us those things in our lives that are causing us to stumble and to remove them. And so for some of us, this is all pretty new. Some of us are new to the faith, whether you just started following Jesus or or maybe you just come back after a long time away. And it can be easy to be discouraged. It can be easy to see all the ways that we fall short in worry that we're falling too far again. And to you, I want to remind you that idea of humility, that you are not too far. Jesus has so much love for you and for the little ones. He's gone so far for those who are so far off. He loves and cares about you. So don't lose hope. You're not the one keeping yourself together. He is. In humility, lean into Jesus. Continue praying for clarity to see those things that are stumbling blocks for you and ask him to remove them. And then be brave and make those hard cuts. Remove those things that cause you to stumble from your life, even though it's hard and it will hurt. So some of us have never followed Jesus. And this call to humility can sound so foreign, right? The idea of needing help from someone else, especially needing help from God, is a challenging idea. It's not celebrated in our culture. And to those who think this way, I really think through, I challenge you to really think through that idea of self-sufficiency. What we see in the story of Jesus is a man who lived the perfect life, who died in our place and rose again for new life. And so I'd consider, I challenge you to consider this man. Consider what he said and what he did. I want to close with this. It can be scary to be truly humble. It's human nature to be afraid of our weaknesses. It's human nature to be afraid of this idea of our own limitations. This is really natural. And like I shared earlier for me, the idea of being weak or being a mess is such a painful thing to me. And I think no one understood that better than the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, near the end of the letter, he talks about a thorn in the flesh that he asked God to remove. We don't know exactly what this was, but we know that it caused Paul pain, either physical or emotional. And we know that the Lord did not remove the thorn in order to humble Paul. And so this is how Paul came to think about it. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. Friends, humility can be a painful and difficult thing, but the Bible teaches us that in our weakness and in our humility, the Lord moves powerfully. And we find that humility is the canvas upon which the Lord will paint such beautiful pictures. Let's pray for that humility today. Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for your word, which challenges us. Um, We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you that even though we don't stack up, that you did. And we just pray for the humility to accept that. Accept that you're the perfect one, not us. And that you're the one in control, not us. And Lord, we, we pray for humility to accept that we're not too far off. And that we're not too broken And Lord, we pray for the humility to love others as we love you. And we pray that you'll transform us into a community of humility. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.